Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away. For the final time in 2021, I will welcome everybody to the finale of KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring the great Mats Vlander of the seven Grand Slam titles in singles, one Grand Slam title in doubles, three Davis Cups, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former number one in the world, will be joined a little bit later in the show by former Texas Longhorn two-time All-American Johnny Levine, and this is a season finale. We've got some great stuff to get to. We're going to give you the top five tennis stories of 2021. But, Matt, let's start out with this. On the Eurosport website, of which you are a part, Alex Karecha has come out and basically said that in the long run, there is no doubt in his mind, and he feels that Rafael Nadal concurs with him, that Novak Djokovic will win the most majors of all time, that he will break this tie with Federer and Nadal. He will win the most of all time. I don't know that that's rocket science to come up with that, but does that indeed then make Novak Djokovic on his own the greatest player of all time? Andy, nice to be with you for the last time in uh, 2021. I'm sorry that this is it, but uh, we'll keep going strong in, in 2022. But let's end this year on a good note. Novak Djokovic, I agree with Alex Korecha, will most probably win another major. But as long as he hasn't, he's not the greatest of all time. But I think we need to open up uh, the can of worms that is Serena Williams. Is Serena Williams the greatest of all time, even though she only has 23 and Margaret Court has 24? So uh, if we say that Serena is the greatest of all time, which I think we all agree then I don't think it's necessarily true that Novak Djokovic is the greatest of all time because we do have a famous Australian named Rod Laver who did win the Grand Slam in 1962, wasn't allowed to play in Grand Slam tournaments for four years. 1968, he was allowed to play again, won three. And in 1969, he won the professional Grand Slam. So he only won 11 majors, but he wasn't allowed to play. So I think we need to settle. Is it, is it a numbers game or not? And it's a different, we have different rules for the women's game, it seems, uh, compared to the men's game. So I think we need to settle the Serena thing. Um, I think Novak most probably will win another one. But I like to say to Alex Korecha, who's a good friend of mine, why don't we let Novak believe that he's the greatest already and let all three of them end their careers with 20 wins, 20 Grand Slam titles. I still would love to see him play for a couple more years, but I'm okay with them not winning anymore. Let's start with Serena, because if you saw the film King Richard, you saw that Richard Williams made the comment to Serena Williams at about the age of 10, 11, that your sister Venus is going to be number one in the world, but you are going to be the greatest of all time. He said it then. He sure seems like a prophet now. So if the film King Richard has anything to say about it, then yes, Serena, if not already, will be the greatest of all time. Okay. Now, as far as this bit about if, you know, they all end with 20, then we can clearly say you can pick your favorite of who you feel is, is your greatest of all time, but it would be hard to imagine three greater players in the history of men's tennis ever playing tennis at the same time. There's just no question about that. And if you look back on some of the different eras of great men's tennis of which you were a part Matt, who would even be in the conversation of three players that played at the same time that created anywhere near the level of greatness that we have seen from these three that between them have won 60 majors i'll start with this threesome connors McEnroe, and borg is that the next great threesome I think you would have to say that, and again, Andy, we're back at we're back at talking about what 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 is greatness? What is greatness? Who's the greatest of all time? I think Borg, McEnroe, Connor certainly put tennis uh, into uh, the living room of 
of normal sports fans, people that would have never watched tennis before. They suddenly um, started watching tennis. And obviously, because of the contrast of personality, the contrast of style, uh, and then, of course, two Americans and one Swedish guy. So I think that they are easily the next three, some to have played at the same time. They did split titles pretty evenly, even though, of course, Bjorn Borg was dominating the French Six of them there, Wimbledon five times. And Connors and Macron kind of went back and forth and they won Wimbledon. Uh, but then once Macron started beating Borg, Borg went away and retired. So, But they would be the only three. I mean, Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, I think that rivalry and, and as a twosome uh, is pretty darn close to uh, Novak and Roger and Rafa. But who's the third? Jim Courier, obviously, is a great player, but not, not quite at that same level. So, again, yes, you are 100% right. I mean, these three at the same time, they are so fortunate and lucky that Roger Federer, who was the greatest of all time, until Novak and Rafa started winning, and they are, we are so grateful that Roger is, was so talented – he was so determined that he was actually able to compete with the generation that came behind him. And that is very unusual. Jimmy Connors to a certain degree, but he didn't really compete and win Grand Slams when he got up to be uh, 33, 34 years old. Roger Federer did. So I think in the end, we're going to have to thank Roger Federer for a whole lot more than, uh, than just being part of the big three. I think he's the one that, that pulled the load. He really is. I think if you're looking at another big three, Mats, you really almost, to compare with what we're dealing with now, you have to go to the sport of women's tennis. And it has to start with Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. And then the question becomes, who's their third? Is it Billie Jean King or is it Steffi Graf? Or do you put Steffi Graf in with maybe Martina Hingis or Monica Sellis and make that a three? Who's the big three in women's tennis that you would put together to equate to what we're seeing now or, or to equate to the McEnroe Connors Borg era? Oh, I mean, absolutely would have loved to see Serena Williams play against Steffi Graf and then, of course, throw Martina Navratilova into the mix. Because I think that all three of them, I can see how they all three would have bothered one another. Steffi Graf is one, maybe the best mover of all time. And because of that slice back and not that easy to hurt, could Serena hit through Steffi Graf? And then you put Martina Navratilova. Of course, Navratilova played Steffi Graf in some big matches. And I think Steffi had a little bit of a problem with that lefty swinging serve. Um, would Serena have any problems with Martina that's the question. But again, um, lefties on the women's side, that's something that Serena, she's battled with Angie Kerber a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's yep. had some problems with Kerber for sure, but on the women's side, 100%. And I mean, I know Chris Everett is definitely up there with uh, these women, but I just feel like Martina Navratilova, because of what she's come through, how good she was in doubles, uh, how she defected from Czechoslovakia, became an American, and, and that didn't stop her from winning. And then she played for so long, and she was good all the time. That threesome, Graf Navratilova, Serena Williams, that would have been fun. But the fact of the matter is, the threesome of Navratilova, Everett, and Graf actually existed as a threesome. I mean, granted, by the time Steffi came along, Martina and Chris were long in the tooth, and and Steffi was 15, 16 years of age, but she was still going out there in the semis, if not finals of major championships and given those ladies all they could handle. So maybe that's your big three. But then when we, you talk about the all-time greats, you talk about the people that put tennis in the living room of the, of the, of the sports fan, the, the, the one that put women's sports in the living room of sports fans was Billie Jean King. I mean, ultimately, she got the tour started. So when you really start talking about the greatest of all time, as we've talked about on the show many times, and you continue to bring up the point that it's how much have you contributed to make the sport a greater sport? And I think that's something that doesn't necessarily reflect in the numbers. Yeah, and I think, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I do think that you could most probably, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Andy, if you put your mind to it, could you name the three, we start with the men, the three male players that actually changed the game and took it to the next level and could potentially have competed with the players 
that came 20 years after them. And I think that's what you have to go, uh, you know, is Daniel Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas and, and, and Alexander Zverev, are they not as good now as Roger and Rafa and Novak were 10 years ago? I mean, that's really difficult to compare, but I mean, who? You, you, name one. I'm going to name the first one. Bjorn Borg took it to the absolute next level from when Eli Nastase and Stan Smith and these guys, and then suddenly comes Borg, and you just cannot get him to miss or hit winners against him, uh, and he was complete on all three surfaces. But something, Andy. I find it ironic that you go with Borg because I do not disagree with you, but as a young, as a young boy growing up in, in Sweden, of course you're going to think that. As a young boy growing up in this country, I had never seen anything like what Jimmy Connors was doing to a tennis ball when he came along and he was eviscerating the likes of John Newcomb and, and Rod Laver. And I mean, he was taking, they, they were older than him. Jimmy was brash. He was flat. He hit the ball hard. He hit it through the court. He did it with a T2000. He changed the attitude of tennis and he changed he changed the way the game was played. He was not a serve and volleyer. He was just a ground and pound, big return. So to me, I thought Jimmy was a real revolutionary at the time. And then yet he and Borg came along and, and did very different things for the sport, but, but at the same time. Yeah, I agree, Jimmy. Absolutely. I remember when he, he, uh, when he's playing Wimbledon, I think I was nine years old when I saw that final, he beat Ken Rosal, I think in the one Correct. I saw, but you know who else? Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras needs to be mentioned because he actually took the game to the next level uh, by serving maybe the best serve of all time, but he could play from the baseline. And up to his, up to when Pete came up, there was some big service in the game, but they really didn't know how to keep the ball in play from the baseline at the same level as Pete Sampras. I mean, Pete Sampras was a baseliner originally. He learned how to serve and volley because the serve was so big. But I think he took it to the next level. Uh, granted, he grew up with, I think, grew up playing with a bit of a mid-sized racket. And then he used the same racket for most of his career. So did Andre Agassi, of course. So it's easier, in a way, uh, to look at those guys. But they're not that many, you know. I could say, name Boris Becker. We thought he was going to be the guy who won Wimbledon as a 17-year-old, 1985. He defended as an 18-year-old in 86. But he only ended up with six majors in the end. So reality might have hit Mr. Becker. Uh, and, and the rest of us, maybe we weren't that impressed or whatever it was. There's only a few people. On the women's side, I think you have to go with Serena Williams. This must probably made the biggest. Well, the Williams sisters. I mean, The Williams was, sisters, right. exactly. The dr drastic change in women's game was they brought power. And that's what they are still um, not surviving on today, but that's been the the best addition to the women's game for sure is power everywhere. Now, even in the serve, thank you to in the end, Richard Williams. Before we go to break and we're going to talk about the top five tennis stories of 2021, Johnny Levine will be joining us. I have to say this Matt, because I think it does lend toward the argument of the Borg Connors McEnroe triumvirate being in the same conversation with the Nadal Federer Djokovic threesome because of this, we just talked about, Borg being a revolutionary of the sport, Connors doing the same thing. I will also say this. When I started teaching tennis uh, in 1984 at a very nice resort outside of Austin, working for Billy Freer and Cliff Drysdale at the Lakeway World of Tennis, everybody was taught to volley with the racket head above the wrist. You had to have the racket head up and you had to volley a certain way. And along comes a kid with a headband named John McEnroe. And nobody had seen these weird looking ground strokes with they, they were flat and they were short backswings and it looked like he had a paintbrush in his hand. But he did things with the volley that absolutely rewrote the laws of physics as they applied to teaching the sport of tennis with respect to the, to net play. And so I think that when you look at what, what Borg brought to the game, what Connors brought to the game and what McEnroe brought to the game in terms of completely making teaching tennis pros go, well, now what? I think those three are, are in a category of their own. 
No, absolutely. And you know, in 1984, that's John McEnroe's best year. And I think yes. he only got three matches in 84. And of course, one of them is still the most painful thing that's ever happened to him in his life is Ivan Lendl at the French Open because John won Wimbledon. He won the US Open. Uh, he didn't go to the Australian Open, which was then played in December, which is why I won it. Well, he got kicked out of it later in the year, though, didn't he? Or the following year? What, didn't he get to fall? Uh, the year before. Okay, and in 1983, okay. he got okay. beaten by me. But he didn't show up in 84 because ah. he, he didn't win the Roland Garros. So if he wins there. But, but what's more important is that he had the best year uh, of his career. I think he only lost three matches. But he started playing with a mid-size racket with a Dunlop Max 200G. Oh, and yes. he took tennis to a completely different level. And this is me. I'm in the middle of it. I've won three majors by now. And here comes John in 84. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, what are we supposed to do now? So there, Ivan Lendl brought McEnroe to his knees, not only at the French Open, but in general, Lendl trained so hard. He hit the ball so hard that he could deal with John, but I couldn't deal with him. When I started beating John, it was on clay. Then he was still good. But after that, it was more that John kind of lost interest when Borg put his rackets on the shelf and said goodbye. And John always talks about that. That's He couldn't keep playing at the same intensity because his best friend, Bjorn Borg, stopped playing. But John McEnroe that year, wow, he took tennis to a completely a level that I've never, ever seen nearly uh, as somebody dominate that much. Not even Djokovic, I would say, dominated as much as John did in 1984. One of the great lines from John McEnroe's book, speaking of Yvonne Lendl, he said, Yvonne Lendl, while I was sitting eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream, was probably riding his bike backwards up a mountain. I don't know if you remember that line from that book, but it yeah. made, I was rolling on the floor when, when I had to read that one a couple of times. All right, when we come back, Johnny Levine will be joining us. We're going to be talking about the best stories of 2021, the best tennis stories. And there may have been some that you've forgotten, some that we sh we're sure you'll probably guess what they are, but don't go away. We want to thank you all for staying with us in 2021. Oftentimes we wait till the end of the show to do this. I'm going to do it uh, now, Matt, but I want to thank the millions of listeners around the world that literally hang on every word that we say every time one of our shows comes out. And of course that is wishful thinking, but those of you that are listening, we love you. We appreciate it. And we got lots more to get to on the season finale of kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matt Lander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden. Don't go away. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Former number one and seven time, yep, that's right, Seven-time Grand Slam champion, Matt Spielander, now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high-quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. They have yoga and Pilates, as well as hydro options. They also have martial arts and something I had never seen before, TRX suspension training. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all-time greats in the sport of tennis. Time on court with Mats is an amazing experience, one I assure you you will never forget. After my clinic with Mats, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent, reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to MatsVLanderTennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to the finale of KickServeRadio.com. Mr. Johnny Levine. Johnny, good to have you with us. And now we're going to tackle the top five stories of 2021. Matt's and I had a great segment talking about are there any three players that could have ever matched by playing at the same time what we've seen from Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and all we could really come up with was maybe Navratilova, Everett, and Graf. So that's where we were last segment, but now we'll start with with 2021, and it really started, the year started with one of the big stories being Naomi Osaka's boycotting of the media and citing some, some mental illness, and that's really taken us into a place in 2021 where this has become a big story, not just in tennis. We've seen it recently from Bianca and Rescue, but we've seen it from Aaron Rodgers. We've seen it from lots of different athletes. Do you think that this is a good thing that this is being brought into such high levels of attention after all these years with, with maybe people being a little bit embarrassed to talk about it? Well, uh, good to be with you boys. Um, I would, say on that note, Andy, that the mental anxiety or what, what, whatever you want to call it, as far as an impairment that players have more than some players is like an injury. And, and I think mental illness needs to be looked at the same way as another injury. And I think it's great that now we're starting to view it that way. So yes, I think it's really good that it's at the forefront because it's a serious issue of mental, mental health. And a lot of people suffer you know, different ways from it. And I think athletes are no different than anyone else. And I think it's finally getting the right attention with superstars that, that we've seen in many different sports, having the same issues that everyday people have. And so whenever you can get that kind of attention to um, a significant problem in, in, in our society, I think it's a good thing. And so, you know, good for Naomi Saka to be so public about it. Good for Kevin Love to come out uh, and be so public about it. And um, all the other athletes, I think it's a great thing. And it, it really started in tennis with Marty Fish. And that documentary was just unbelievable. So yes, it's, I think it's great. Is it a card, Matt, that you think is too easily playable since it's hard to quantify? I mean, somebody injures themselves physically. It shows up on an MRI. This doesn't necessarily show up in a way that is easily detectable, even by doctors oftentimes. And so could it potentially open up a can of worms with players deciding to opt out of different obligations and then just cite that and say, well, nobody can question me? I, I think there is a danger of it for sure. Um, and I think it's, I completely agree with you, Johnny, uh, about that it's, a, that it's very important that it comes out, that it's a problem in, in our society. Even if you're making uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship money, you might still have a, what I am disappointed in, I have to say, is what's the cost of it? I mean, we're not talking about what happened with Marty Fish. Was he just nervous? I mean, and I agree 100% with that you should bring it up. But why are we not talking about what it, what, what, what cost Naomi Osaka? I mean, did we really hear her say it? No, because I guess she doesn't know. I'm not saying that. But let's understand or try to so that we can help people. Because right now, you just people are coming out saying I have mental health issues. But we don't really know where it comes from. So how do you cure it? Or how do you help it if we are not willing to open it up and talk about why these players think that they might have mental health issues? I think that's really important. Our next great story of 2021, Johnny, you inadvertently touched on it. Uh, So I'm going to go back to you. And that is the year of the tennis documentary. And Marty Fish Untold was one of the three that I'm going to cite here. Earlier in the year, we saw a great one on Guillermo Vilas, where we saw a lot of sound bites from our very own Mats Vlander called Settling the Score, where uh, it was sort of whether or not he was actually denied the number one ranking in the world and was that justified or not. And then, of course, we finished the year with King Richard, 
But, you know, the, the, the VLOS situation was one, Johnny, that was um, there were a lot of things that we knew because we were watching tennis as young boys back in those days, watching VLOS and Borg and McEnroe and Connors and that era. But there was a lot of things in that story that I, I don't think we knew. And the way the ranking system worked in those days was certainly one that I had not gotten my arms around back in those days. Yeah, that was uh, the VLOS documentary was really, really interesting. And there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that most people don't know about because there was that journalist that really got behind VLOS and tried to make the case for him to be number one and fought with the ATP, um, got lawyers involved. And and I think VLOS, Matt knows the guy, I'm sure, and he knows the situation better than most people. But from the outside in, it looked as though you know, Vilas thought he was robbed by the computer and wanted to be able to say and have the number one ranking um, to his credit for his career. And it was that important to him that, um, you know, he worked with this journalist to to try to make it happen over a number of years. I think it's personally, I don't know how the computer and all that worked, but that year that he had, um, you know, based on his results, I'm shocked that he didn't reach number one and I thought he should have reached number one. Matt's you won seven major championships. You're an international tennis hall of famer and you were number one in the world of those three. What do you look back upon in your private moments and think, man, I was number one in the world, man, I'm, I'm an international tennis hall of Famer. man. I want is being number is knowing that you got to number one in the world. The ultimate thing you can do as an athlete. Well, I think that, um, it, your financial situation changes a lot. When you can say that you were number one in the world, it really helps your financial situation. It does help if you are interested in recognition. If you go into a yellow cab during the U.S. Open in New York and you say that you were number one in the world, he actually, whoa, or she. But if you say you won the French Open, that really, he doesn't, she or he doesn't know what sport French Open is. So for that reason, I think for Guillermo Vilas, I think it's important to note that he, for his own sake, wanted to be recognized as the world number one. But that was also a little bit of the reason was he it would have completely changed how he could have presented himself uh, in, in marketing uh, as a South American, not just Argentinian, but a South American world number one that ne- hadn't happened up to that point. Uh, and uh, I feel like he, he thought that people owed him some money. I think that was part of the reason as well. Um, but to me, Andy, no. It's no to all the questions that you thought it was. For okay. me, it's I can't believe I want a major on each of the three surfaces. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes me the most proud to be able to win on grass in Australia a couple of times, US Open and, and Australian Open on hardcore. And then, of course, the French. That to me is, yeah, I'm good. You can nearly take the other four away. If you just leave me one of each on each surface, uh, I think that, it, yeah, that's, you know, I've reached my potential. Uh, and um, that makes me proud. Of course, no one else wants to talk about it because it was only a couple of them, but I feel very good about my tennis because of that. I feel pretty good about it too, Matt, and I know Johnny does. Johnny, we were going to talk about King Richard, and we'll we'll keep it somewhat brief because a lot of people haven't seen it yet. I thought it was very well done. The question was brought up as to whether or not Venus and Serena actually reached their potential, if not for Rick Macy. I mean, is this the guy that ultimately, although Richard Williams clearly pushed a lot of the right buttons to put them in the position to be able to train with the right people, was it ultimately Rick Macy that put the finishing touches on those two girls to have them grow up into, you know, the the, the monster tennis champions that they became? Well, according to the to the documentary, it, it would be. I don't know myself. I was shocked when I found out watching the documentary that Paul Cohen, uh, who I knew and had very close friends that were coached by him and worked out with him and was shocked that he was involved with those girls at a very young age. And Paul was quite the character and uh, and quite the tennis coach in the day and in, in the L.A. area. So that surprised me. And then moving on to, to, to Rick, um, you know, evidently he had a huge impact 
on their game. But again, Andy, I would not be the one to, to know, um, you know, how deep that went. I mean, based basically just watching the documentary is all I know about them. You know, Matt's when you, when you look at that story, I mean, it, it was, it was made for Hollywood, but the fact of the matter is you cannot deny the fact that we know that Richard Williams told Venus Williams that she was going to be number one in the world. And we know that Richard Williams told Serena Williams that she was going to be the best of all time. What father in his right mind would say that to his daughters and let alone end up being right? Unbelievable. I mean, I remember when they came on the scene uh, and uh, I remember at some tournament in Miami, I think, I think Richard Williams was, he sat with a sign that he had written. I can't remember what it said, but, but I think back to that question about Rick Macy, I think what is so uh, inspiring about the Williams sisters really is that Richard Williams set the whole thing up in a way where Serena and Venus they were learning from everybody that they ran into. Rick Macy would have been one of them. Patrick Moratuglo is the coach of Serena Williams today. And they won eight or nine majors together. Sometimes Serena's mom was the coach. She would talk to them. And I don't know if she was a tennis player. but So I think that that's what, uh, what Richard Williams, and of course um, their mom as well, but they set the Williams sisters up to to take in what everybody was telling them. And um, if they were experts, then listen to it. Don't necessarily follow all the instruction, but take pieces of each person that you run into, just like the smart people that have gone through the educational system. I mean, it's not just one teacher. It's, so it's every teacher in every, every grade level, I think, and tennis is the same. Before we go to break, and we've got three more stories to get to, I will close with this on King Richard. I spoke to my good friend, Matt Peterson, who worked for me here in Colorado for one summer. And he actually used to work with Rick at the Macy Academy. When Rick was spending his time with Venus, Matt, my friend was spending all of his time with Serena when Serena was about 10 years old. And he said, not one time ever did Richard Williams ever walk out onto the court and interrupt him during a lesson, which he so famously did uh, in the movie King Richard, certainly when Venus was out on the court. And he loved Richard Williams and said he was one of the funniest, easygoing guys. They had a great relationship. So I will just say, coming from a person that was there at the time, that's what I heard. And so there you have it. All right, when we come back, we've got the three top stories, as far as tennis goes, of 2021. You're listening to the season finale of KickServeRadio.com on Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Matt Svelander, Johnny Levine, I'm Andy Zoden. Back for the final segment of the season right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment, season finale, kickserveradio.com 2021. We have had a great year, and it was a great year for sports stories. Before we get to stories three, two, and one, we are excited to announce that, Johnny, you will be having your tournament the Arizona Tennis Classic, which will be taking place March 14th through 20th. March 13th through the 20th. Excuse me, the 13th through the 20th. I keep forgetting about those qualifiers, so we don't want to forget about those guys. Uh, nope. It's going to be a great event. Matteo Berrettini won it a couple of years ago. Will it again take place at the Phoenix Country Club? Is it the same venue as before? Same venue, but we this this year we do have a what I call a ambassador of the tournament. Oh, you do? And who is that? And we are hoping it will be Matt Svelander. All right. I thought it was going to be me, but okay. Well, but, uh, you're, you guys are a team. And hopefully <laughs> we'll have the presence of both of you and maybe even do a little radio or podcast on site. I think we'll do a live kickserveradio.com presentation 
from the Arizona Tennis Classic. Okay, but that's not one of the top stories of 2021. That's just a sidebar. So let's move on to what I consider to be the third biggest story. I'm going to call it Breakthrough Boys. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to cite guys like uh, Alcaraz and, and, and Jensen Brooksby and Casper Ruud and Andre Rublev. Obviously, Daniil Medvedev breaking through to win a major. Sasha Zverev breaking through to win an Olympic gold medal and to win the tour finals. A guy like Francis Tiafo ending the year on a good note. Matt, am I leaving anybody out of this group of players that really broke through and created a tremendous amount of excitement? Uh, what we saw from Alcaraz, let's start with him at the U.S. Open, was electrifying. Yeah, Carlos Alcaraz was absolutely incredible at the U.S. Open. And I think you did leave one person out. The person that Carlos Alcaraz beat in that match, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Yep. Because Tsitsipas was the first player this year uh, that actually made Novak Djokovic look pretty normal, pretty ordinary uh, at the French Open. He was up two sets to love and he was kicking Novak's butt there. Uh, and then I don't know how Novak turns that around. And then in the end, he's actually winning pretty easily. But so I think Stefan Tsitsipas belongs there because he opened up the door for all the other guys and kind of told them, hey, he's good but I believe we can play with him. So that he would join. But Carlos Alcaraz, that match to me, first round of the U.S. Open, I was there on the sideline. That was the most incredible tennis atmosphere, obviously for a few years, but that's the first time we realized, wow, COVID was really tough on everyone. And the crowd in New York, they were on fire for that match. Johnny, this whole concept of players breaking through is to some extent born of your uh, keeping us up with the up and comers. And so of, of these guys that you were always kind of bringing to our attention uh, each, each time on the show, who is the guy that you sort of maybe thought would still be a year or two away, but that is among the names that I just mentioned? Well, um, can we not put Casper Root in, in that, Pat, I did. He, I did. I yeah. mentioned him. I mean, at eight in the world, right. uh, kind of a sleeper eight, but I mean, that result has to be one of the, the most amazing ones that, that we saw of the year. The, the one other guy that you have to give tremendous credit to uh, come back, not come back, but most improved player award that he got from ATP was Aslan Karatsev. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, the results that that guy had coming coming out of the, I mean, he wasn't even in the top 200 before that great semifinal run of the Australian Open. That's a story in itself uh, for him to be ranked, I believe, in the top 25 now, maybe top 20. But and then Mackie McDonald getting comeback player of the year for U.S. tennis. Um, he really performed great getting to the finals of of Washington, losing to center. Um, there's just, you know, a lot of new faces, a lot of great young talent. Um, and, and it's just, I think shows that there will be tennis after Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I, you know, guys, I think that, that we, we really need to give them a lot of credit because we were talking about Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniel Medvedev, Alexander Zverev, and even Matteo Berrettini after that semis. And they stepped up to the plate. I mean, we're not, we, they made the finals. Tsitsipas at the French, Berrettini at Wimbledon and Medvedev twice. So they really handled the pressure. And then having Daniel win it is obviously huge for this generation. So we, which we weren't sure a couple of years ago if these guys were actually going to take that step. And they all did in 2021. Next story is the number two story of the year, in my opinion. And that's, that's Novak's near miss of the calendar Grand Slam. And it was an incredible thing to watch. And we saw it with Serena and we saw her come up short at the U S open losing uh, in the semifinals to uh, uh, was it Roberta Vinci that beat her in that, in that semifinal uh, who then lost to Flavia Panetta in the final. So a great run of Italian tennis, which was a precursor for what we're seeing from their men nowadays. But, but for Daniil Medvedev to be made to look the way he was made to look in the Australian final where Novak absolutely looked so far superior to him that day to then turn the table on him in arguably the biggest match of Novak Djokovic's career. 
it's a huge story. And I guess the question has become, will there be lingering scar tissue that will provide grist for the mill, if you would, for Novak to continue to win majors? Or is it going to create a situation which is maybe a mental stumbling block against some of these younger up-and-coming players that we're talking about breaking through? Matt, what do you think? I think that it might be a little bit of a problem. I used to think that playing five sets is a huge advantage for for uh, Roger and Rafa and Novak. And, and I'm starting to feel like at some point it's not a big advantage, even though you have the experience. And I think Novak is, is about there. Um, I do remember asking, talking to Boris Becker at the Australian Open a few years back when he was actually coaching Novak. And he said that, that Zverev and Medvedev and these young guys, they actually prefer playing against Novak compared to Roger and Rafa because Novak is simpler as a player, he hits the ball simpler. And what he does well is he defends. But you can play with him and you can hit your shot and the ball comes at a comfortable height. So I think that these guys are less scared of him than they are of Roger and Rafa when they were at the best. Of course, they didn't really play Federer at his best, these young guys. But I think five sets might be a problem. And I think um, Novak, it's amazing. I, I checked uh, his career, 2011 was his other unbelievable year. He made the semis of the French Open and he won the other three. He was in a 47-match winning streak. He beat Rafa in two Masters Series finals on clay in Madrid and Rome. I mean, an unbelievable year. And they lost to Roger Federer. That was the other year. And can you imagine 10 years later, he has another chance. I think there's some scar tissue. And I, I hear he's going to the Australian Open. It's going to be very interesting to see how he reacts and what the other players are thinking, not just the best players in the world, but even in the first and second round. Do they feel like, hey, maybe we can compete with Novak? It'd be interesting to see. Johnny, you almost have to wonder, as Mats is talking about these players preferring to play Novak as opposed to Rafa or Roger because he was a great defender, if maybe... 20, 30 years ago, they were saying the same thing, going, well, we'd maybe rather play Mats as opposed to Becker or Edberg because, you know, he's going to allow us to play some points with him. But they certainly didn't want to play five sets with Mats Vlander on clay. That yes, do they know. did. <laughs> Pete, Pete and Andre, yeah, they showed a lot of respect for me off the court, but not necessarily on the court. So, okay. yeah, they preferred me. Andy, let me just jump in real quick and say that um, – I really thought that Novak would have a lot of scar tissue, but I, I was actually very impressed with the fact that he didn't call it a year and he, and then he, and then he shows up at Paris and he, he ends up beating Medvedev in the final. I mean, that was just a huge effort. He goes to the ATP tour finals, plays well, and he lost to a really good Zverev. And then he goes and plays Davis cup. I mean, this guy deserves a ton of credit for after what you would think would be just a massive let down and he could be done for the year and he comes back and plays all those events. I mean, especially the Davis cup. I mean, I, I, I just give the guy a lot of, a lot of credit. I think he's a class act. Let's not forget. He went to the Olympics guys. He went to the Olympics to get a gold medal for himself and for Serbia. That's when it started. Forget the, I mean, the, the grand slam thing, I think he's moved on now. It's just back to number of slams. I think that's all he's thinking about is getting to 21. But I, I, I do think Mats might be onto something. There could be a 50% chance that they all stay at 20, and that would be crazy. Yeah, I, I, I would say that let's not forget about the Olympics, although based on that performance, I'm sure, I'm sure Novak would prefer that we do. All right, top story of the year. We're going back to women's tennis, and you're probably thinking, oh, it's Peng Shui. And that is a huge story. But that is a little bit more of a political story, a little bit more about big business and a little above our pay grade. So it is a huge story. We do think about her. We keep her in our thoughts and we hope that she is safe and that we get a chance to see her back on the tennis court. But the top story of the year was the performance of Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez at the U.S. Open to unseated Cinderella stories making their way to that final, a story. I mean, if you think that, that that King Richard was made for Hollywood, this script would have been tossed out on its ear. You would have never believed it. Not in a million years. Particularly when you talk about Matt's Radicanu, as Johnny pointed out several shows back, or maybe it was you that said she was offered, I think it was you, she was offered the wild card, turned it down 
wanted to play the qualies plays 10 matches and then it was johnny that said which is a problem for her because she can go back and defend her title at the u.s open in 2022 and she still loses points unbelievable i mean obviously the i think it really helped them uh that the crowds were so into it at the u.s open i mean i know um, they're always into it but to me i've been there so many years i came went there the first time in 1982 I have never, ever seen a crowd be that involved. And then these girls, they just use that to their advantage. And, and all of the other stars that were supposed to uh, maybe win the title, they kind of choked a little bit, but not really. These girls just played out of their mind. Uh, yes, it's a huge, huge story. I think it's still a huge story because – we haven't heard that much from either of them after the U.S. Open. And that's an interesting, like, what's going to happen to them? Were they really that good? But the fire they caught, both of them, was unbelievable. And you could have never, ever predicted that uh, in a million years. It doesn't matter if you're an expert or not or a gambling man. You just wouldn't. Pretty amazing, Johnny, to see Naomi Osaka win the Australian in the dominant fashion that she did. Ash Barty take the baton from there and say, oh, you don't think I deserve to be number one in the world? Let me show you a few things. Had an unbelievable clay court season. Uh, and, and then uh, won Wimbledon, obviously. Who won? Yeah, did, was it Barty that won Wimbledon? That's Is right. Yes, yeah, so Barty won Wimbledon. won Wimbledon, right. So, uh, and then it was Krejcikova that, uh, Barbora Krejcikova won the French. But to see these girls now, to Matt's point, what happens next? So let's move from the story in 2021. And Johnny, let's, try to you know preview the headlines for 2022 with Fernandez and Raducanu, who would you su- suggest might be set up for a better year next year of the two? That's tough. I mean, Raducanu really had um, some poor results after her win at the U.S. Open. However, um, she's going to have some time to, to train and, and maybe find a new coach and and that talent hopefully will, will come back out. Um, Fernandez has a little more experience and, um, you know, she's top 25 and she's shown that, uh, that she's been pretty consistent after the open. I mean, she still play has played some good matches. I think she's maybe going to have a better year, but you know, it, it's just, that's, it's just a really tough question. I mean, there actually are so many great players that can come out of nowhere in the women's game. And that's what makes that, um, so exciting, but I do think that Sabalinka is a threat and, and, you know, probably can handle her nerves to win her first slam next year. I mean, she's got that humongous serve. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And then Muguruza, um, winning the, the year end finals has got to be a threat coming into 2022. So Raducanu and, and Fernandez have their work cut out for them. I mean, they definitely both got a hot us open, but there's there's no guarantee that they're going to even sniff a final or even a semifinal with with the talent that's out there. We just don't know. Let's end the year on this note, Matt. And Sasha Zverev wins in Turin. He wins the the ATP Tour Finals. My question to you is 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 it his year to break through? Is 2022 the year that Alexander Zverev wins a major on the men's side? Well, I'm going to make it easier for me. I think it's the year when either Tsitsipas or Zverev wins a major. I think I'd be, um, I mean, yes, I would say Zverev for sure, but we still don't really know how he fares in five sets. He, he, after that U.S. Open final against Dominic Team, I still want to see him. He's got a couple of hurdles that he needs to climb over, and so does Tsitsipas. But one of them, I think, will win one for sure. I'm interested in Daniil Medvedev. Can he dominate uh, both hardcore slams like he did at the U.S. Open? And can he have a chance at Wimbledon as well? Because I think Medvedev, he's by far the most improved player out of those guys. And he's changed his game in a positive way more than anybody else. All right. And then the final question of the year. Zverev and Tsitsipas versus Nadal and Federer in 2022, more majors. How about this? I'll make it even easier. More match wins on tour in 2022. Federer and Nadal versus Zverev and Tsitsipas. Are you talking about combined? Combined. Combined. Ah, 
I think that's an easy one. I think I'll bet you a hundred bucks that it's uh, Tsitsipas and uh, and Zverev that wins more. I know that Rafa Nadal is in uh, in um, United Arab Emirates and he's playing an exhibition as we speak, so he's up and about and he's playing. I haven't heard anything about Roger Federer, but it's great to hear the news that Rafa is practicing, playing some exhibition matches, and he and he's going to be a threat again. Cool. Roger Federer, that is a big question, Andy, for you, from me and Johnny, to put you on the spot. Is he coming back? Is he playing another major? Does he have a chance to get far in a major? Because most people listening to this show, that's the answer that they want to hear. All right. Well, the final word is this. Roger Federer has yet to play a main draw of a major since turning 40. He's only had one opportunity. That was the U.S. Open. His birthday is October 8th. Excuse me, August 8th. He turned 40. My suspicion is he would like to make a run at a major at age 40. The last set of tennis he played in a major championship, he was bageled by Hubert Hercotch in the fourth set at Wimbledon. He does not want that to be the final conflict for him in a major championship. As far as who's winning more matches, I mean, let's face it, Tsitsi Possum's Vera are going to play three times as many matches, and that's if Federer and Nadal play a full year. So that's kind of a dumb question. Um, is Roger Federer coming back to ever be the same Roger Federer that we once knew and loved? No. Does he have one more shining moment a la Andre Agassi at the U.S. Open in, what was that, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there? maybe, maybe he's got that kind of a run. I hope he does. If it is, if he does, it's going to be one of the most exciting things that we see in 2022. I think the same question could be asked of Serena Williams. We will find out lots more to get to in the 2022 season of kickserveradio.com. We want to thank Tennis Channel for allowing us to be a part of their podcast network. For myself, Andy Zoden, the great Mats Vlander, and Johnny Levine, this is KickServeRadio.com signing off for 2021. Happy holidays. Happy New Year, everybody. We look forward to seeing you in 2022.